You are listening to the Film Rem Podcast. I'm Nadej. And on Film Rem, I dissect films in cinematic techniques to analyze why they are effective to subconsciously teach us life lessons. They say that clothes make the wearer because wearing a garment is like wearing a ghost. The inanimate object has the power to create an assertiveness unforeseen to the wearer. That is the power of the dress. How can something that appears so simple be so complex? Dressmaking is an extensive process. One must take measurements, create, and cut the pattern, cut the fabric into pieces, and sew the dress together. Embellishments require expert needlework. The final product is exquisite and elegant, but we never see the invisible thread that holds it together. We're unaware of the fragility that takes place when handling something that is delicate as clothes molding into the shape of the wearer. Prolific designer Reynolds Woodcock has mastered this. He takes lifeless pieces and threads them into breathtaking creations that make the woman feel beautiful. He runs his eponymous label, The House of Woodcock, with his emphatic sister, Cyril. He dresses the cream of the crop, ladies, duchesses, princesses, only the upper echelon of society. Although he shares an endearing relationship with Cyril, he longs for his beloved, deceased mother. Determining that he can feel her spiritual presence, he tries to consolidate his feelings for her death through his creative expression and his need for complete control. Just like the women that come into the house every morning at the crack of dawn and leave at night, so are the women in his personal life. That is, until he meets a bashed immigrant, Alma Elson. Initially a red-faced, clumsy waitress, she slowly increases her position in his life as patiently as each dress he creates. Alma and Reynolds are two lifeless pieces that are broken. Just like the fragility of the clothes, so are these fragile souls. Throughout their relationship, neither wants to relent their power for fear of vulnerability and exposure. Caught in the middle of this conflict is Cyril, who steers the ship. Director Paul Thomas Anderson is creating a dress right before our eyes. Their relationship is measured, cut, patterned, and woven together with thread unseen. The same thread binding us to our friends, our lovers, and our family. Set in 1950s high society London, Phantom Thread explores the consequences of a man hungry for control, but reverts to childhood antics when circumstances grow beyond his capabilities of control. The majority of the film takes place in an upper society London townhouse. In this pressure cooker period drama, Alma refuses to take no for an answer. She desires him and will use every one of her feminine wiles to keep him. You're a very handsome man. You must be around many beautiful women. 
Why are you not married? I make dresses. <laughs> you cannot be married when you make dresses. I'm certain I was never meant to marry. I'm a confirmed bachelor. I'm incurable. <sighs> Marriage would make me deceitful, and I don't ever want that. Sound so sure about things. I'm sure about that. I think you are only acting strong. No, I am strong. For who? Not for me, I hope. I think it's the expectations and assumptions of others that cause heartache. On this episode of Film Rem, I'm analyzing Phantom Thread, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, a true auteur in every sense of the word, who brought us polarizing films like Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, and The Master. I'm reluctant to classify this film as a love story. For me, it's more of a dark fairy tale. The beauty of this film is in its deception. Similar to a relationship, you're taken on an emotional roller coaster and we never see these emotional beats coming. The music aids us with the feelings of the character and the performances are both understated, comical, and grandiose. At times, I felt as though I was watching an adaptation of William Shakespeare's plays. How can something look so good but be so bad? Whenever a person comes into your life, you ask yourself, Will this person help heal me or help kill me? Is love toxic? It can feel that way at times. And while most men can't wait to remove a woman's clothes, Reynolds Woodcock is anxious to put clothes on them. We open the film with Alma, played by Vicky Creeps, sitting near a fireplace with the fire lighting her face, speaking to someone. This person is unknown to the viewer. She says, Reynolds has made my dreams come true and I have given him what he desires most in return. The warm colors of the fire light up her face. The other person opposite her asks, and what's that? She responds, every piece of me. He's a very demanding man, isn't he? Must be quite a challenge to be with him. We are then introduced to Reynolds Woodcock, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, grooming himself to prepare for the day. The grooming is extensive. This man cares very much about his appearance. Cyril, Reynolds' sister, played by Leslie Manville, opens the blinds and prepares for the women of the House of Woodcock to walk in. Look how many ladies he works with. It's easy to be just one of many women, women of all ages as well. Inside these rooms, the designs are exquisite. You can see all the pattern outlines hanging on the wall, the mannequins look used, and they're sewing in Woodcock London, that label on the clothes. You can see all the pattern outlines hanging on the wall. The mannequins have clothes on them, and they're sewing in the Woodcock London label on the clothes. At breakfast, a girl named Johanna offers him pastries and says that they're going to be delicious. Reynolds responds, Remember what I told you, Johanna? No more sludgy things. 
He refuses the pastries because he's sketchy. Johanna responds, I didn't know that. You must have told it to someone else. His sister Sarah walks in and he says, morning, my old so-and-so. Their relationship is very endearing. If you notice on the breakfast table, they have their own teapots. That's very significant. Joanna tells Reynolds, where have you gone, Reynolds? There's nothing I can say to get your attention aimed back at me, is there? Reynolds responds, I cannot begin my day with a confrontation, please. I'm delivering the dress today and I can't take up space with the confrontation. I simply don't have time with confrontations. The love in this relationship has dwindled. And then we're introduced to Countess Henrietta, played by Gina McKee, who visits the house of Woodcock for her fitting. She's put into this exquisite eggplant and pink dress. It's beautiful. If you look carefully, the detail work is magnificent. It took a lot of effort for this dress to come together. And you can tell just based off of the effort it takes to put her in the dress. Henrietta walks out and she says, yes. Reynolds says, let's take it for a walk like it's a car. Reynolds is so charming to his clients. Henrietta says, it's beautiful, Reynolds. Worth everything we've been through. I feel like it would give me courage. Reynolds makes women feel beautiful in these gowns. This is not the first time we'll see someone wearing a dress from the House of Woodcock and will feel like they're a completely different person. Reynolds meets up with Cyril at a restaurant for dinner. Cyril says, well, what do you want to do about Johanna? I mean, she's lovely, but the time has come and she's getting fat sitting around waiting for you to fall in love with her again. I'll give her the October dress. That's all right. He nods in agreement. Then he says, I have an unsettled feeling based on nothing I can put my finger on. Just butterflies. Been having the strongest memories of Mama lately coming to me in my dreams, smelling her scent, the strongest sense that she's near us and reaching out toward us. Very much hope that she saw the dress tonight, don't you? It's comforting to think the dead are watching over the living. I don't find that spooky at all. Reynolds chooses to believe what others don't see. This may have to do with the fact that he's a designer. When you're a designer, you design by nature. You create. Creators see everything with a blank slate so that they can start from scratch. At this remark, Cyril suggests that he go to the countryside. He agrees and calls her again, my old so-and-so. The countryside is picturesque. It's as if we're staring at a painting. The following morning, he walks down to the Victoria Hotel for breakfast. He spots Alma, a disheveled girl. She's unsure of herself and she's clumsy. Her face is beet red. He's charmed and she's instantly attracted to him as well. The girl takes his order. His order is intricate. He says, a Welsh rabbit with a poached egg on top, please, not too runny. And bacon, scones, butter, cream, jam, not strawberry. He also orders sausages and a pot of lapsing tea. He takes the order tab and keeps it. And she remembers his order. He then asks, will you have dinner with me? And she responds, yes. She gives him a note and the note reads, for the hungry boy, my name is Alma. They're both smiling. They're happy. She can't hide her excitement. 
that night he picks her up. And again, she's giddy. He's giddy. They're both excited. It's that beginning of a relationship when everyone is giddy. They don't know how things will come. It's exciting. And the best part of those types of relationships, it's that you don't know what's going to happen, but it's favorable. He watches her eat. When you're in love, you pay so much attention to every little detail of that person. He asks, what do you think? She responds, I like the sauce. Then he says, may I? He dips a napkin in his cup of water and wipes off her lipstick. He says, I'd like to see who I'm talking to. There you are. That's better. Does your mother have brown eyes? Green. You look very much like her. I don't know. I think so. Do you have a photograph? Yes. Do you let me see it? Not here, at home. Carry it with you. Always carry her with you. Where's yours? Your mother. She's here in the canvas. What do you mean? You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. Secrets. Coins. Words. Little messages. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. And over my breast, I have a lock of my mother's hair. To keep her close to me always. She was quite a remarkable woman. She taught me my trade. So I tried to never be without her. You must love her very much. Reynolds believes that he's the way that he is because of his mother. He became a designer because of her. They go back to the country house. He shows her a picture of the dress that he made his mother for her second wedding at the age of 16. He tells her that my father had died many years before. Because of superstition, the nanny wouldn't help him sew the dress, and he had to work alone. He said, I worked alone for months and months, hunched over. He tells Alma that it was his sister, Cyril, that came to his rescue. Another woman coming to help him. That's going to be significant. Then Reynolds talks about the endless superstitions people have when making a wedding dress. Alma asks, and where's the dress now? Reynolds says, I have no idea what happened to it. No idea. It's probably turned to ashes by now, fallen to pieces. I found it interesting that he said, turned to ashes. I'd understand if it was wood, but fabric? Alma continues, and your sister, did she ever marry? No. Then they're sitting by the fire, and he can't take his eyes off her. She says to him, if you want to have a staring contest with me, you will lose then proceeds to tell him that he's a very handsome man. You must be around many beautiful women, yes? Why are you not married? Reynolds says, I make dresses. I'm certain I was never meant to marry. I'm a confirmed bachelor. I'm incurable. Marriage would make me deceitful, and I don't ever want that. Alma says, you sound so sure about things. I'm sure about that. 
I think you are only acting strong. No, I am strong. Alma says, for who? Not for me, I hope. Reynolds then concludes, I think it's the expectations and assumptions of others that cause heartache. Reynolds just delivered one of the themes in the film, the expectations and assumptions of others, and it leads to heartbreak. He's not wrong. Relationships are difficult to navigate. That's because everyone has their own idea of what constitutes a relationship. Everyone in adult relationships are looking for something that was the missing piece in their childhood relationships, their primitive learning, which is childhood. Alma helps Reynolds with a gown and he tailors it just for her. When something is made specifically for you, it's tailored to you. No one else has that same thing. You feel unique. Every woman wants to feel this way. He tailors every dress to the wearer. What woman doesn't want a dress that is custom made? What woman doesn't want a man that tailors his behavior to you? I'm not talking about changing a man. I'm talking about a man that interacts with you differently. He tailors his experience with you. Reynolds grabs color swatches. He drops an olive green swatch and says that he'll save it for another time. And he settles on a mid-tone purple. At this moment, Sarah walks in. And Alma instantly feels threatened. We've already established the two women in his life, but not together yet. Another woman has just walked into this room and Alma doesn't have Reynolds' full attention anymore. Cyril says, and who is this lovely creature making the house smell so nice? Cyril smells her like a mama bear and says, sandalwood and rose water, sherry and lemon juice? Reynolds says, my old so-and-so, would you mind? I really love the way they interact with each other. Again, so-and-so is a term of endearment, but it's a double entendre as well. My so-and-so is S-O-S-O, but my so-and-so is S-E-W. Whenever she's in work mode, she's his so-and-so. Whenever they're at the dinner table, she's his so-and-so. Sarah writes down Alma's name and underlines it as Reynolds takes Alma's measurements. That name's going nowhere. So since Cyril has walked in, Alma can't concentrate. Paul Thomas Anderson, the director of this film, says that getting your measurements taken is potentially soul-crushing. He says that it's such an intimate process. You're sort of wondering, 32, is that good? 64. 64 what? Where am I on the scale? (laughs) And that's so true. It's intimate because someone is measuring your body. Reynolds then tells Alma, you have no breasts. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. No, no, you're perfect. My job to give you some, if I choose to. While Reynolds fetches another dress for Alma to wear, Cyril tells Alma, you have the ideal shape. He likes a little belly. You can tell that Alma's a little bit insecure. We're back to her talking to the unknown person from the beginning of the film. I never really liked myself. I thought my shoulders were too wide. My neck was skinny like a bird. That I had no breasts. I felt my hips were larger than needed. And my arms strong. Alma's very insecure. And you can tell that she's never really received much male attention in her life, if at all. Reynolds and Alma are walking around the countryside, holding hands. Reynolds tells Alma, I feel as though I've been looking for you for a very long time. Alma says, you found me. And then she says something very interesting. 
Whatever you do, do it carefully. Sounds like a warning. And why would she tell this to a designer? When he makes his dresses, he does so carefully as well, doesn't he? Alma continues in his voiceover, but in his work, I've become perfect and I feel just right. Maybe that's how all women feel in his clothes. Reynolds takes Alma to a lovely restaurant. She wears a dress he designed for her using that same mid-tone pink swatch. I love this scene because all of the gentlemen are wearing black and Alma's dress stands out even more. On the left of this scene, we see macaron and pastries. Alma's like a project to Reynolds. Matter of fact, I feel like all the women in his life have become projects. Cyril walks in and Reynolds tells Cyril that he's already ordered for her. Alma immediately tenses up again around Cyril. Right now, we're seeing an invisible power play, but it's not quite to fruition yet. At the dinner table, he whispers to Alma, you look beautiful, very beautiful. You're making me extremely hungry. Reynolds shows her to her room and they sleep in separate rooms. He's keeping her close enough that he can play with, but not close enough that she'll disturb his routine. To the unknown man, Alma says that they wake up at all hours of the night to work. And she says, no one can stand as long as I can. Again, foreshadowing what will follow later in the film. On a particular day, Reynolds and Cyril work on a dress that Alma's wearing. And Alma says she doesn't like the fabric. Alma's a life-size model for them so that they don't always have to rely on mannequins. Cyril says, well, Alma, this fabric is adored by the women who wear our design. It's perfect for this dress. Reynolds agrees with her. Cyril is right. Cyril is always right. It's right because it's right. It's beautiful. Maybe one day you'll change your taste, Alma. Alma responds, maybe not. Reynolds continues, maybe you have no taste. Alma says, maybe I like my own taste. Reynolds says, just enough to get you into trouble. Alma says, perhaps I'm looking for trouble. Reynolds just concludes it, stop. Reynolds belittles her but she can hold her own. This is the first time we see that she's not as shy and submissive as we projected based on our first impressions of her. We're beginning to experience the patterns of a love-hate relationship. And now everywhere they go, Alma wears his designs. Reynolds is idolized. Alma tells him, have you had enough to eat? You seem thirsty. We don't even hear his response. He's so turned on, they speed home, and he finally invites her into his room. Things seem to be going pretty well. The next morning, she walks in as Reynolds is sketching. He has the sludgy thing that Johanna tried to offer him at the beginning of the film on his plate. But he hasn't touched it yet. Alma's making so much noise at the table. Please don't move so much, Alma. Alma responds, I'm buttering my toast. I'm not moving too much. Well, it's too much. It's a distraction. It's very distracting. Maybe you pay too much attention to it. It's hard to ignore. It's as if you just rode a horse across the room. It's just too much movement. Entirely too much movement at breakfast. Reynolds gets up and leaves. Cyril says, perhaps you should take your breakfast after him or in your room. His routine when he's in it is best not shaken. This is a quiet time not to be misused. If breakfast isn't right, it's very hard for him to recover for the rest of the day. Alma considers this. 
I didn't know that. No, of course you didn't. But you do now. I really appreciate Sarah's vigor. She's a woman not to be messed with. But Alma responds, still, I think he's too fussy. Even though Cyril and Reynolds correct Alma, she still continues to fight back. The actor Vicky Creeps says this about her character. Alma has seen people die. Again, this is set at the end of World War II. Vicky Creeps continues, she has seen what it means to lose your home and country. She comes from cold, windy Germany and is transported into a warm world in London, wrapped in silk and light. People who live through the war cannot think about themselves. They cannot ask, am I weak? Am I strong? They just have to get up and be brave. Reynolds tells Alma of this bobbin lace that he rescued from Antwerp. He says that it's delicate, and when meshed together with the lavender fabric, it's interwoven beautifully. He sews her name, Alma, into the dress, like one of the hidden phantom treasures he mentioned earlier in the film. Alma is sitting while they take pictures of Reynolds' designs. She looks magnificent, decadent. Is this the same red-faced clumsy girl he met near the countryside? We then see her in another decadent dress, this time taken from the green swatch that he threw down on their first encounter with the promise that he'll save it for later. But I found something else interesting. Alma is modeling these dresses while they're taking pictures. They tell him to sit down on the floor and he refuses. He finally sits down on the floor and the picture is Reynolds on the floor looking up at Alma, who appears to be the more dominant one while she stands. It's a great visual. In the following scene, Alma knocks on his door late at night. May I come in? He doesn't open the door. We just hear him talking through the door. I'm working. Do you need anything? Sarah walks up with a pot of tea and enters unannounced. Alma doesn't know what to do. And if there are any men listening to this podcast, a woman needs something to do. It's time for his fashion show. And as Alma models the dresses, you can never tell if he's staring at her or the gown. He peeks at her through the keyhole as she models. A lot of these designs that we're seeing these women model were on the mannequins earlier in the film. During the fashion show, he grows increasingly agitated. He's not feeling well. She suggests, let me dry for you. This is the beginning of the shifting of the power dynamics. She has literally taken control of the wheel. The fashion show was too much for him. She brings him soup and tea, and she loves it because his attention is fully on her. She begins to realize that his full attention is on her when he's in this weakened state. Alma continues to the unknown man. When you love your work and you can give like he does, you need to come down again. And then he's a baby, like a spoiled little baby. When he's like this, he's very tender, open. We finally see the guy, and it's Dr. Hardy, Lady Baltimore's nephew, although we're not introduced to him yet. How long will these episodes last? Only a few days. Then he's well again. Back at the country house when he's feeling better and working on a dress, she does the same thing, bringing him tea and the like, but he doesn't want it. He's back to his old self. Take it out. I didn't ask for tea. He then tells her that the tea is going out, but the interruption is staying right here with me. When he's working, he doesn't need anything. And creative people are like this. It's only them and the art. 
This and only this will sustain them. Relationships take a back seat. And she notices this difference. She picks mushrooms with the cook, and the cook tells her that the poison ones have gills. But don't cook with too much butter. He detests too much butter. At breakfast, Alma is buttering her toast quietly. She's very careful not to disturb Reynolds. They're back at the townhouse. She's obeying him. You can still hear the buttering of the toast, but only for the audience, not for Reynolds. They're currently in the process of making a wedding gown for a very wealthy woman named Barbara Rose. It's quiet at breakfast, and Cyril says, There's a very good chance Barbara Rose will ask you to attend her wedding. What do you want me to do with that, is Reynolds' response. Accept her invitation, if you can stomach it. I really wish I hadn't heard this till later on, Cyril. It's very unsettling. Well, chin up. Reynolds looks at Cyril like a child. And Cyril says, Barbara Rose pays for this house. She sticks it to Reynolds and he shuts up immediately. Cyril can hold her own against Reynolds. And when Barbara Rose visits for her final fitting before the wedding, she can't even look at herself in the mirror. I know you're doing the best you can. I'm still so ugly. Reynolds says, I'm trying to make you a beautiful dress. She doesn't feel beautiful in his designs. This is the first we have seen of this. Not once have we ever seen a woman not feel beautiful in a dress by the house of Woodcock. Barbara Rose is a mess. She's moody. She says, Reynolds, will you come? It's really not my place. This is my place here. I'm afraid I must insist that you come. So he goes to the wedding. Barbara Rose is too drunk to appreciate it. And then she passes out of her own wedding and she has to be carried away. At this, Alma grows angry. She's starting to become possessive. First, the possessiveness is not shown in the person, but the thing the person is attached to. Reynolds took all his attention away from her to make a dress for Barbara Rose. And Barbara Rose passes out in it. Barbara disrespects the dress and is too drunk to appreciate it. So as we see Alma's face growing increasingly agitated and jealous, Reynolds is bored at the wedding reception. Alma says that dress doesn't belong here. She doesn't deserve it. It's your work. Alma is forceful and she's telling him what to do. Reynolds thinks about this for a while until he decides to take the dress back. Had she suggested this to him, he would not have accepted it. Alma demanded this of Reynolds. Mr. Woodcock, what is it? the dress back. Miss Rose is sleeping. Well, that's got nothing to do with the dress. Can you go and get it for me, please? She's sleeping. In the dress? Well, yes. Go and take the dress off her and bring it to me right away. I don't think so. Take the fucking dress off, Barbara, and bring it to me or I'll do it myself. I beg your pardon? Alma. Alma goes into the room and grabs the dress. She's now doing Reynolds' bidding. It's no business of ours what Mrs. Rose decides to do with her life, but she can no longer act like this in a dress by House of Woodcock. After this show of ego and emasculating attempt by Alma, they are even more in love. This is also the first time that he's taken her suggestion. Then again, it wasn't of a suggestion as it was an assertiveness. Alma tells Reynolds that she loves him. 
and she's growing obsessed with the attention that he gives her when she's assertive. During this scene, as she grabs the dress from Barbara Rose, the music is stunted. In the next scene, they're having this conversation about what to have for breakfast. Reynolds says, I'm so hungry. He orders cream, porridge, bacon, and eggs. Then he says, delighted that we have cream in the house. It makes all the difference. Her Royal Highness, the Princess of Belgium, arrives at the House of Woodcock. Alma is jealous. She can't stop staring at the princess. She's beautiful. Reynolds gives all the attention to the princess, and Alma feels inadequate. Alma approaches the princess and says, I want to wish you good fortune for your wedding. She then tells her, I live here, to state her dominance over this house. A house she doesn't pay for, by the way. Alma does have pretty crazy tendencies. And like I said, she's grown obsessed with Reynolds. But her position in Reynolds' life is also threatened. She wants to make sure that it's secure. Unlike the previous women that have just come and gone, she's stating her claim. Alma tells Cyril that she wants to surprise him. She wants to cook him dinner. Cyril thinks it's a horrible idea. It isn't his birthday. I would advise against this, Alma. Why? Because he doesn't like surprises. He does. Well, he won't like this one. Alma says, I'm trying to surprise him and love him the way that I want to. Cyril responds, no, I really must advise against this, Alma. I don't think there could be a more inappropriate time to try something new. Alma asserts that Reynolds is going to like something just because she thinks he's going to like it. Alma says, I respect your advice, Cyril, but I have to know him in my own way. And this is what I have to do for him. Cyril just tells her good luck and leaves. Cyril coddles Woodcock. In order to protect Woodcock's fragility, his fragile ego, Cyril keeps him almost like in a pressure chamber of content. Paul Thomas Anderson inquires, what happens when your mother hasn't let your feet touch the ground or is convinced the sun shines only for you? When you have this halo, that means as long as you're creating, you're allowed to behave as inappropriately as you want to. There's nothing worse than kids acting like the worst kind of adults and adults acting like the worst kinds of kids. Reynolds comes back from his walk and Alma is at the top of the stairs waiting for him. She says, I love you, Reynolds. Yes, but what is this? It's a surprise. Are you hungry? Where's Cyril? He's getting separation anxiety from Cyril. I sent everyone home. Where's Cyril? She left. What time did she leave? This afternoon. Reynolds is not happy. He has a routine and he likes to stick to it. He says, let me collect myself for a minute. I'll just have a bath, I think. It's very kind of you. And then asks, when will Cyril get back? Later on, he walks down the stairs. Even his pajamas are immaculate. When I researched this film, I found out that Daniel Day-Lewis meticulously planned out Reynolds' wardrobe. At the dinner table, Alma asks, how was your appointment with the princess? She's very beautiful, like a sculpture of some kind. So will you make her wedding gown? He tells her that he's known the princess since she was born. Alma is embarrassed. This is meant to be a nice evening. Let me serve you. Throughout the film, we've seen all these fabulous displays of food. Here at this dinner table, it's lacking. The food looks bland. He's dissatisfied with the asparagus. He says that he admires his own gallantry for getting through the meal. Yikes. I don't know what I'm doing here. Alma doesn't know what he wants. Reynolds is like a crying baby. Whenever you give them a pacifier, 
They don't know what they want. Then you give them food. They're still crying. Alma, growing increasingly agitated, says, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just waiting around like an idiot for you. Reynolds calls this an ambush. This is my house, yes, isn't it? Is, is this house. my house? Of course it's your or house. Or did somebody drop me on what foreign soil behind enemy lines you and surrounded on all sides? It's you who brought me here. When the hell did this happen? Who are you? Do you have a gun? You here to kill me? Hmm? Do you have a gun? Stop it! Where's your gun? Stop being a Where's child. Where's your gun? Stop playing. Show me your gun. Stop playing this game. I'm not I'm playing not. a game. Yes, mm-hmm. What uh-huh. game am I playing? What game? What precisely is the nature of my game? You tell me. Oh, this whole... What? All your rules and your walls and your doors and your people and your money and all these clothes and everything. This, this, this game. Everything here. The whole... (laughs) Nothing is normal or natural or... Everything is a game. I wanted time with you. I wanted you to myself. You have me all the time. What are you talking about? Alma continues, no, I don't. There are always people around. And if not, then there's something between us. Distance. What she's talking about is the space that he needs. A lot of personal space in order to create. At the beginning of the film, he tells Johanna that he can't take up space with a confrontation. He then gives Alma her own room. He needs space. Cyril suggests that he go to the countryside because he needs space. Every artist needs this. When you're an artist, your emotions go into the work. There's no separation. You can get a job at a large corporation, and it's not what you really want to do. But if you ask any writer, designer, creator, anyone that's in a creative field, it's creative because it comes from the left side of the brain. The left side of the brain is attached to the emotions. There's no such thing as work-life balance for a creative person. Their work is their life, and their life is their work. They're not giving the necessary parts. They're giving all of themselves. So when Alma says that he requires all of her, he's giving his all to his label. But also, Phantom Thread is too intimate for its own good. We're made aware of many tight, close spaces the characters find themselves in. The majority of the scenes are inside the townhouse. Again, Reynolds works where he lives. There's no separation. This allows us to focus on the character dynamics rather than anything else, which makes it seem more palpable for us. We know every aspect of this relationship already, and they're living on top of each other. Reynolds thinks that she has him all the time, and maybe that's what he's seen from his mother. But it's not enough for Alma. She wants to feel like the only girl in the world. She wants to feel like that tailor-made dress. When you love someone so much and they're incapable of seeing how much you love them, it's heartbreaking. It's worse than unrequited love because at least that comes with an acknowledgement of that love. No matter what you do, they do not know how much you love them. They can't receive love. You do so much for them, but they can't see it. You begin to question if love is enough. However, your love may not be enough. It's harder to receive love than it is to give it. And have you been in a situation where you want to force them to see how much you love them? This is how Alma feels. Why can't he see how much I love him? What do I have to do to show my love? It's not necessarily even to prove your love, but I don't know how to express 
how much I really love you. It's very similar to what I talked about in the Shape of Water recording, where I mentioned that because Eliza couldn't speak, she didn't know how much more to express her love. I think that shows just how powerful love really is. Sometimes you have all your faculties and you're still not able to express it. What do I have to do? How can I show someone how much I love them? If you've never been privy to a man's idiosyncrasies, you might actually think that they're playing a game when they're really not. Almost trying to change him. She's not satisfied with her arrangement. Everything about his life is the presentation. It's all about what you see. Aesthetics. You want to feel bad for Alma, but she also knew what she signed up for. Again, he did say that it's people's expectations that cause heartache. And Alma is experiencing this right now. So we're back to the voiceover, and the music grows ominous. Sometimes it's good for him to slow down his steps a little. She goes out and picks poisonous mushrooms. She crushes them up in a mortar and pestle. She mashes the mushrooms with the ones in the book and reads on them to ensure that she doesn't kill him. And then she puts it in his tea. Sarah and Reynolds are at the table. Would you like me to ask Alma to leave? Sarah asks. No, why? Well, if you're going to make her a ghost, go ahead and do it. But please don't let her sit around waiting for you. I'm very fond of her. Reynolds responds, you're very fond of her, are you? Well, don't turn it on me. I don't want your cloud on my head. Then he says, oh, shut up. And she says, you can shut right up. Don't pick a fight with me. You certainly won't come out alive. I'll go right through you. And it'll be you who ends up on the floor. Understood? He doesn't object. Whenever Cyril challenges Reynolds, he stands down. He's submissive to women only when he's challenged. Phantom suggests something that's ghost-like. Cyril says, don't make her a ghost, like his mother. The women in his life are coming and going like ghosts. She also said, I'll go right through you. You won't see it coming. All of these little terms to continue to impress upon us this phantom motif and weft into the film. While he's working on the princess's dress, he starts to feel weird. He can barely make it down the stairs. But it's time for him to inspect the dress, and all the women are waiting. The dress is so big that it takes up the majority of the frame. He walks around the perimeter of the dress, but rather than the camera following the, the exquisiteness of this dress, we're following a shaky Reynolds. He's trying to keep up that appearance with the dress. Almost like he can't look bad in front of the dress. The dress is a live creation for him. He looks drunk. He can't even inspect it. He falls on the dress and ruins it. Alma has officially impacted his life. Not just his career, but his life. Because there's no separation. She immediately follows him to take care of him. Earlier, Reynolds mentioned that people have spooky superstitions over wedding dresses. It's ironic considering he fell over one. Reynolds allows Alma to take care of him. Alma wants to be wanted, and she wants to be needed. Every woman wants this, but the way they achieve it is different. To some women, the end justifies the means. She's Machiavellian in that regard. But she had two choices, to stay or to leave. She couldn't very well leave because she's aware of how lucky she is. But if she's going to stay, 
She's going to have to do things her way now. Cyril visits Reynolds upstairs. Shall I call a doctor? No, Cyril, you certainly will not, please. Cyril then leaves after she can't convince Reynolds to call a doctor, and she says, come on, Alma. Just as when Alma was outside the door and Cyril walked in and shut the door in front of Alma's face, Alma gets up and closes the door on Cyril. Although Cyril and Alma are engaged also in a power struggle, it is very clear who will always win every single time. The errors of the dress are small, however impactful. The dress has to be remade, which will take the whole evening. But Reynolds can't be there to help. Alma continues to help him, and Reynolds says, I'm scared, Alma. Do you think I'll ever get better? Alma responds, of course. I'll take care of you. Reynolds is not getting a partner. He's getting a surrogate mother. Sarah calls the doctor, and this is when we're finally formally introduced to Dr. Hardy. Dr. Hardy accidentally addresses Alma as Mrs. Woodcock. But Reynolds doesn't want the doctor. He just wants Alma. He's extremely disrespectful to Dr. Hardy. But the doctor is a man, and he wants a mother's touch. Again, Alma's not used to getting this kind of attention, so she's going to keep it and lap it up as much as she can. When Dr. Hardy leaves, they both respond to him in the same manner. Alma's position in Reynolds' life is rising. It seems to me that Alma is more threatened by Cyril than Cyril is by Alma. I don't really get the sense that Cyril's that threatened because she holds the most power in that household. From the moment Alma tried on the first dress, she's been threatened by Cyril. Cyril reminds me of a young Alma. Paul Thomas Anderson says that she's not just the arch rival of Alma, but without Cyril, there's no way Alma is going to survive. There's a very pragmatic side to it, which is, how long can the House of Woodcock keep running until some new blood has to come in? This is fashion after all. Without Cyril, the whole place crumbles. The dress needs to be ready by 9 a.m., and Cyril tells this to all of the women. Alma's not just sabotaging Reynolds' business for her selfishness. She's also sabotaging Cyril's. When Alma pins the hem of the dress, she discovers another hidden phantom treasure sewn into the princess's dress. It reads, Never Cursed. She removes it because you can hear the rip. Remember when he said that women have all these superstitions when it comes to making wedding dresses? Reynolds sewed that in to ensure that the princess is always blessed. While he's alone, sick on the mushrooms, he begins hallucinating and sees his mother in the same wedding dress that he made for her at the age of 16 for her second wedding. She's standing near the door of the room. Reynolds says, are you here? Are you always here? I miss you. I think about you all the time. I hear your voice say my name when I dream and when I wake up. There are tears streaming down my face. I just miss you. It's as simple as that. I want to tell you everything. I don't understand what you're saying. I can't hear your voice. After he says this, Alma walks in. The ghost of his mother is still standing there. But after she emerges from the closet, the ghost disappears. It is at this moment that she has assumed the role of the mother in his life. The caretaker rather than the wife. Some may ask, well, isn't a wife a caretaker? Yes, but her role is not limited to that. Cyril does more wife-like duties than Alma. She's legitimately a partner. Regardless, Reynolds is shell-shocked from this experience. 
Reynolds wakes up and heads downstairs. But rather than checking on the dress, he goes straight to Alma, who's sleeping near the dress on the love seat, and shows her affection. As the princess's wedding dress is clear in view behind them, painting the scene, Reynolds proposes. But the dress slowly disappears as it zooms in on this two-shot between the both of them. He finally says, I love you, Alma. I don't ever want to be without you. She responds, I love you. He continues, I have things I want to do. I thought my days were unlimited. Things that now must be done. Things I simply cannot do without you. To keep my sour heart from choking. To break a curse. A house that doesn't change is a dead house. Alma, will you marry me? She doesn't respond at first. She's soaking it all up. She's lapped up this moment for all it's worth, and you can't blame the woman. He asks two more times until she finally agrees, and then she asks him, will you marry me? Even that proposal felt like a power struggle. Now, this doesn't mean you should start poisoning a man's food, because I guarantee that will definitely not lead to a proposal. <laughs> they marry. And this is the fourth wedding dress we see in the film. The first was his mother's. The second was Barbara Rose's. The third was the Belgian princess's. And now Alma's. What I like about hers is that it's understated. It's not the classic white. And it's fairly informal, but it is keeping with those times. After they marry, they're back to the daily mundanities of married life, but more so domestic life. The honeymoon period should be fun, right? Nothing's changed. One of the scariest aspects of the film is how relatable it is to married couples or couples in long-term relationships. When you first begin a relationship, everyone assumes it's supposed to be perfect. They rush into it, they let their emotions get in the way, but at this stage, the relationship isn't working because it's only appearances. Something is holding them together, but we don't know what it is yet. Whether it's will, commitment, ego, surrogacy, something's holding them together. They fall back into the same routine, and on their honeymoon, he's annoyed by her unscrupulous behavior at breakfast. It still annoys him, but then again, She's married now. She doesn't care. This is a man who said he's incurable and he'll never get married. Again, a house that doesn't change is a dead house. Nothing's changed, though. She goes out on a skiing excursion while he stays in sketches. And she flirts with Dr. Hardy. Everyone can see it. Now she's getting attention from another guy. But this would never happen without the dresses of the House of Woodcock. Those dresses gave her confidence. She's used to them now. Lady Baltimore remarks, of course, sowing seeds of discord. She's barely looked at you this evening, has she? While they're playing backgammon, Alma shakes up the dice and it bothers him again. It's that excessive noise. Reynolds tells Alma, let's not start cheating at this stage, Alma. He's talking about backgammon because she rolled a four and I think she went back. I don't remember. But he's also talking about her flirtation with Dr. Hardy. Lady Baltimore tells Reynolds that Alma is a toddler 
and her customs from her country make her rude. As far as we can tell, Alma and Reynolds have nothing in common. What really is keeping them together? The only thing they love is challenging each other. It's New Year's and Alma wants to go dancing. Reynolds doesn't dance and she insists. They're challenging each other. She says, I want to go. We need to go dancing. She asks him what he's going to do about it. He says, I'm going to stay here and work. As Alma leaves, you can overhear on the radio, what will kill you then will kill you now. Alma is the same thing that Reynolds has been struggling with since childhood. She just comes in a different package. Reynolds bends his routine to her will and goes out looking for her until he finally finds her. This routine that is best to left unshaken, according to Cyril, is shaken. He's doing things that he has never done before. Is this love? Because she seems happier without him. That party, is. there's so much disorder going on that he's against it. I also noticed something else. She's wearing the first dress he made for her. That mid-toned pink-purple. Reynolds finally grabs Alma at the end of that New Year night. They both stare at each other. And it reminded me when she said earlier in the film, if you want to have a staring contest, I will win. I mentioned this earlier when he said that he'll never be married because of expectations and assumptions. Again, this is the exact same thing that's happening. Instead of seeing the person for who they are, she's seeing the person for who she wants him to be. This is a prison in and of itself. Marriage can be the most freeing experience, or it can be the biggest prison. But also, Alma doesn't want his attention anymore. Her very presence annoys Woodcock. He leaves the room and talks to Cyril. We find out that Henrietta Harding, that said that Reynolds' dresses give her courage, has gone to another house. Reynolds says, is there something I'm unaware of? Because as far as I can remember... All I have done is to dress her beautifully. I don't think that matters to some people, Cyril replies. I think they want what is fashionable and chic. He's losing clients. But also his work has distracted him. He's not at tip-top shape like he used to be. Cyril says that women are looking for something that's chic. Reynolds says, what is chic? Reynolds detests this word completely. He won't change with the times of fashion. I find that interesting because he told Alma that a house that doesn't change is a dead house. And he's on his way to a dead house if he doesn't become more fashionable or more chic. He says, it concerns me because it hurts my feelings. It's hurt my feelings. I do not like to be turned away from. His lack of attention is not in the form of a relationship, but in the form of his connection to his mother, which is his house, his designs, his business. Also, no one but his mother has left him. Every woman has obliged. He removes them, not the other way around. He then continues to Cyril. I made a terrible mistake in my life, Cyril. I made a terrible mistake. I need you to help me. What do you want me to do? I can't work. I can't concentrate. I have no confidence. She does not fit in this house. Again, this is twofold. Because his house... Little H is also his house, capital H. Her arrival has cast a very long shadow. Woodcock discovers Alma behind him 
and yells at her. Then he says, there is an air of quiet death in this house, and I do not like the way it smells. At the beginning of the film, her odor first created a lovely scent that Sarah even commented on it. Now it's a stench. It's time to reset. He's growing agitated, so Alma goes back out to look for mushrooms. It's time to get him back to that needy state. Rather than walking away because she can't lose him, she continues with the mushrooms. This is relationship purgatory. At least to me it is. He's watching her like a hawk as she prepares his meal. He has begun to suspect that something's up. In this whole scene, there's absolutely no talking until the very end. We see every bit of preparation of this meal. But think about how they met. She was serving him food. And if I'm not mistaken, eggs was on the menu. Well, now she's making him an omelet. She's even pouring the water in a way that's irking his nerves. She's annoyed with him and he's annoyed with her. He smells the omelet before eating it and puts a piece of it in his mouth. He's not sure what's going on, but like I said, he suspects something. He chews slowly. Alma then says, I want you flat on your back, helpless, tender, open with only me to help, and then I want you strong again. You're not going to die. You might wish you're going to die, but you're not going to. You need to settle down a little. As she says this, we can actually hear him swallowing the omelet. He's accepted his fate. He drops his fork and says, Kiss me, my girl, before I'm sick. When he's sick in the bathroom, he suggests to her to call Dr. Hardy. She says, I will make you well again. I love you. I love you too. He can only love her the way she wants him to in this state. We're now in the present where Alma chats with Dr. Hardy. If he didn't wake up from this, if he wasn't here tomorrow, no problem. For I know he'd be waiting for me in the afterlife or some safe celestial place. In this life, in the next, in the next after. And for whatever there is on the road that follows from here, it will only require my patience to be near him again. You see, to be in love with him makes life no great mystery. In other words, she has it all figured out. Sometimes I jump ahead in our life together. I can predict the future and everything has settled. Remember when he said that he had an unsettling feeling in his stomach about his mother? Now Alma is saying that everything has settled. That unsettling feeling was replaced by her as the mother figure. Alma envisions them with kids and Cyril taking care of their kids and them having their happily ever after. She also sees herself as a formidable partner at the House of Woodcock. This time, she's talking to Reynolds about the future. And then she says, and I take care of your dresses, keeping them from dust and ghosts and time. She wants to ensure that what happened to his mother's wedding dress never happens to him while she's around. Reynolds says, yes, but right now we're here and I'm getting hungry. This arrangement seems to work for them. This is one of those films that I genuinely want to know what happens after we fade out. A relationship like this is so complex that I want to see more. What an original film. Even the themes explored are eccentric and unique. I've conversed with friends who thought the film is out of touch because it deals with such a specific, nuanced world. That may well be true, but the thematic textures hit closer to home than we may perceive. 
Paul Thomas Anderson said that he remembered when he was very sick with the flu and he looked up at his wife, Maya Rudolph, and she looked at him with tenderness and that made him think, I wonder if she wants to keep me this way, maybe for a week or two. He also says that he was watching the wrong movies when he was in bed during his illness. He said he was watching Rebecca by Alfred Hitchcock, the story of Adele H., and Beauty and the Beast. This film also reminds me of a lot of Grimm's Brothers fairy tales. Paul Thomas Anderson said that he had bits and pieces of a story, but a very, very thin premise. He actually co-wrote this film with Daniel Day-Lewis, although Daniel Day-Lewis is uncredited. Anderson said that he wanted a movie about the tenderness of the invalid and the power of the nurse, about whether the odd bouts of illness might sometimes be healthy. So he started reading about fashion designers from that era, particularly Balenciaga and Dior. He said that Cristobal Balenciaga lived in such a controlled environment, almost hermetic-like. He said that they were super obsessive personalities, very controlling and completely occupied with their work. The interpretations of this film are endless. Can he only see his mother when he's high on mushrooms? How do we not know he's allowing himself to be poisoned by Alma just to see his mother? Maybe he feels closer to his mother when he's sick or weak rather than when he's feeling well. Those are just three interpretations. I'm going to get into more later. Most people would classify this as a love story, a story dependent on a power struggle, a dark fairy tale, or a psychological drama. Although I can see this film fitting all of them, I think hidden underneath all of the interpretations is one story I never hear mentioned, and that's the story of grief. Reynolds is still grieving his mother. Everything he does is a reaction of the grief associated with losing his mother, especially earlier than he anticipated. Reynolds is not middle-aged. He's an older man who's already established in this field, which makes his loss that much more detrimental. It makes the impact of the death of his mother that much greater. Woodcock wants a mother, and Alma wants love. They both get this, but both have to sacrifice to receive it. Woodcock has to sacrifice his business, his health, and everything else to be taken care of. Alma has to sacrifice her pride, because she can only get his full attention in that particular state. She's not getting the best of him at the best of times. She's getting the best of him at the worst of times. Now, this is interesting because it appears that they both wanted different things. But in fact, they want the same thing, attention. The way they do it is differently. How do you go about getting what you want in a relationship? Paul Thomas Anderson shows this to us through the themes of the film. And the first one is the creative. Dating a creative person is a blessing and a curse. They think differently, they require their own space, and they need their own time. Creative people want to take the world and recreate it. They don't see what it is, but what it could be. He tells Alma that it's his job to give her breasts. Doesn't really matter what you have, he'll go with it. And it's even more powerful because Alma is not traditionally beautiful in the sense that most people perceive. Although she's still threatened by the princess, it's her lack of conventional beauty that Reynolds fell in love with. His job is to take something and make it 
beautiful. He can't do that if it's already in its end state. You also get the feeling with the creative person that in order to keep creating, you have to be in a particular mindset. Cyril says that his routine is best left unshaken. It's oxymoronic, right? Why is a process that is not limited to the mind and its perceptions require such a constrained regimen? I need a controlled environment to be creative. Reynolds has a pattern. He has a routine. Women fit into that routine, not the other way around. And I appreciate Alma's efforts for wanting to get to know him. But this is who he is. But the film also serves as a cautionary tale about the futile labors of a woman's attempt to change a man. She hasn't taken the time to study Reynolds, what makes him tick, what he doesn't like. She forces her ideas of how she thinks he should be loved. We want to love someone a certain way, but they also want to receive love a certain way. How do you reconcile that? She's trying to tailor her experiences to him. Which is funny because Reynolds listens to women and gives them exactly what they want. Alma does the opposite. She listens to Cyril and gives Reynolds the opposite of what he wants. The film shows everyone's different definition of who a partner is to them and what that means to them. The second theme is the scent of love. Love is difficult to define, but in this case, it's a sensory experience that can be associated with different senses of the body. In the animal kingdom, sex pheromones are used to encourage others to mate with them. Scents are closely related to memory, which is why it is no surprise when Reynolds says that he's been having the strongest memories of Mama lately, coming to me in my dreams, smelling her scent. When Sarah walks in and spots Alma for the first time, she says, who's this lovely girl smelling up the house? She smells Alma and says, rose water and wood. And Alma finally admits that they had fish for dinner. However, when Reynolds is getting tired of Alma, he tells Cyril, there's an air of quiet death in this house, and I do not like the way it smells. You would think that since food has such a prominent presence in the film, there would be at least talk about how wonderful the food smells, but not once. Food creates a sensory action as well, but we hardly see it until the penultimate scene when Alma makes Reynolds an omelet. Before he puts it in his mouth, he smells it, which is what an animal would do, which is what an animal would do to identify, to identify an impending danger. Our next theme is hunger, used through the device of food. Hunger is a major theme in this film. It symbolizes an appetite for something unseen, like a ghost. This is why there are many scenes that take place at dinner tables, at restaurants, at the breakfast table, or anywhere where food is present. There's also much conversation surrounding food. Reynolds' appetite correlates to two things, whenever his sexual proclivities are heightened and whenever he's working. You'll know his disposition. Hunger is good. No appetite is bad. It's not necessarily that he's full. It's that he's not hungry. There's a difference. At the beginning of the film during breakfast, Johanna offers him pastries, but he quickly refuses them, choosing to focus on his sketches. He's done with Johanna, but when he meets Alma, he's hungry. 
This prompts her to write to the hungry boy. She doesn't call him a man. She calls him a boy, like a mother would call her child. When Alma wears her first House of Woodcock dress, moments later at the restaurant table, Reynolds is turned on and he tells Alma, you look beautiful, very beautiful. You're making me extremely hungry. So there are no sex scenes in this film. The viewer is used to seeing sex as a form of love, that we're taken aback that Paul Thomas Anderson chose not to show it to us. There is sex in this film, but sexuality is encrypted in metaphors. There's a connection between the hunger of food and the hunger for sex. They both cure a hungry appetite of the body. They both provide physical satisfaction. Sex is not the missing piece to Alma and Reynolds' relationship. When passion dwindles, it's not up to sex for the relationship to survive. That's just a symptom of the problem. It's not relevant to Alma and Reynolds' story. Not showing it actually brings more passion because it's not completely reliant on our biological disposition for sex. Showing sex would have been too easy. Sex is also not the only way to show that a man and a woman love each other. When Reynolds wants Alma, he would say that he's getting hungry. When he doesn't want her, he doesn't eat. When he's working, she brings him tea, but he tells her to take it back out. At the breakfast table while he's working, they argue over how she prepares toast on her bread. On their honeymoon, he's still annoyed. Everything is surrounded by food. When Alma decides to surprise Reynolds, she asks him, are you hungry? He ignores this question because he's uncomfortable. We're not surprised that he dislikes the asparagus a few scenes later. At the end, when Alma dreams about their future, Reynolds tells her that right now we're here and I'm getting hungry. I also want to mention that the poison came in the form of food, tea and an omelet. They're always talking about food. He says, delighted that we have cream in the house. Makes all the difference. He calls Cyril his little carnivore. Food preferences are very important. And Paul Thomas Anderson remarked that you can tell a lot about a person by what they order for breakfast. But hunger is not enough. The food has to settle. Sarah tells Reynolds regarding Barbara Rose's wedding invitation that he should accept it if he can stomach it. Just like he tells Alma that he is admiring his own gallantry regarding the food that she made. It's not okay for you to eat the food. It has to be receptive. This is why at the end when he swallows the omelet, he's accepted his fate. Food brings people together. It's a social pastime. In 1950s London, where else do you wear beautiful dresses? At the dinner table. Food gives everyone an excuse to play dress up while they eat. But his hunger also shows how much he's lacking in his life. The hunger for a motherly figure. That's the problem when you satisfy an appetite. After a while, you'll get hungry again. Just like Alma poisoning Reynolds, she'll need to poison him again and again. Another form of hunger that's not mentioned in this film, but it's lightly hinted at, is the breast of a woman. Breasts are a symbol of nourishment, as they're typically the first point of nourishment for a newborn child and their mother. Alma's breasts are small, and as Reynolds points this out, He's really highlighting her absence of a maternal nature. Our next theme of the film is the most prominent, the role of the mother and the role of the wife. 
Every woman wants a man's attention, but the way they go about achieving that attention determines if they're his wife or his mother. It's fitting to record this episode on Mother's Day, seeing the deep maternal themes in the film. Men look for women that are similar to their mother. Reynolds saw this in Alma. The name Alma is derived from the Latin word almus, which means kind, fostering, or nourishing. This word is widely recognized in the term alma mater, which means fostering mother or nourishing mother, which is why whenever he said he was hungry, there was something that he was lacking. It is also the title of two Latin mother goddesses, Ceres and Cybele. Similar to Sarah, right? It's also the symbol of the Virgin Mary. And in Arabic and Greek, it means the water or salt water. If you know anything about salt water, it's essential to life and it cures many ailments. Salt water in and of itself is a healing agent. This is why Alma and Cyril are essentially playing very similar roles to each other. The only difference between Alma and Cyril toward the end of the film is how close each of them is to Reynolds. If Alma's closer, Reynolds will ask for help. If Cyril is closer, Reynolds will ask her for help. However, the role of the mother and the wife are so thinly distinguished that they can appear to overlap. While a mother works for you, a wife works with you. Some might think that Alma is working with Reynolds, but not emotionally. There's a different type of evolution that a relationship turns into when a mother has successfully reared her son and the son latches on to the wife. When this happens, the son is not codependent on the woman. When you see a new tree, it's held up by the sticks of wood, but after a while, it can stand on its own. If you've never been able to successfully stand on your own, you'll end up like Reynolds. Reynolds is completely reliant on Cyril and then on Alma. At every point in this film, a woman has his heart. It just changes between women. And although a wife can still protect, when a wife forces her husband to do something, she's now become his mother. Many men and women see relationships as an opportunity to act out their childhood issues. The Freudian term of this is called regression, which is a defense mechanism leading to the temporary or long-term reversal of the ego to an earlier stage of development. This person adopts more childish mannerisms. The psychoanalytic form of this is called transactional analysis by Eric Byrne. It determines that we all have three ego states, the parent, the adult, and the child. In the parent, we behave, feel, and think in response to an unconscious mimicking of how our parents acted. We're interpreting our parents' actions. We see this through all the main characters. The adult is the state of the ego that's directed towards an objective appraisal of reality. It's the most ideal state to be in. The third is the child. It's a state in which we behave, feel, and think similarly to how we did in childhood. The child is a source of emotions, creation, recreation, spontaneity, 
and intimacy. Everything that we've seen already in this film. The goal in transactional analysis is for two adults to communicate effectively together. You don't want one to assume the child while the other assumes the parent. There are different ways of handling conflict that was unresolved as a child. And these are only two of those ways that are exhibited in this film. Both Alma and Reynolds have referred to each other as toddlers. He even acknowledges Cyril like his mother. When will Cyril get back? It's similar to asking when your mother will be back after someone else is babysitting you. I've always also felt the sense that, like a little girl playing dress-up, Alma never wore the dresses. The dresses wore her. Reynolds might truly think that Alma loves him so much to poison him and take care of him. And I don't blame him. Love manifests in a lot of weird, crazy, spooky ways. However, Reynolds has made his need for a mother greater than his need for anything else. This is because we are all a puzzle, and each missing puzzle piece contributes to our psychological well-being. Whatever we lack, we idealize that once we have it, it'll complete us. This missing piece is just a piece, but there are other missing pieces. The thing that we lack, we'll spend all of our time looking for it, rather than cultivating and studying the things that we actually have. This is the biggest form of delusion. And you see it so much in relationships. I've seen it so much. The focus is always on what you don't have. So we'll settle for someone that meets that one trait, but no other traits. Because that one thing has been missing for so long that it's so important to us. Reynolds actually does not see his dependency on a woman. When he tells Alma, you think I don't need you? Well, I don't. Alma doesn't just want to be needed. She wants to be wanted. He doesn't see that. She loves him so much. It's not about wanting the other person, and it's not even about needing the other person. It's a want to need them. It sounds counterintuitive. And one example is that you've never had a father. You're smart. You're wonderful. But because you've never had a father, you go for the one thing that you're missing. So you'll choose a guy that will fit that father figure, but negate everything else. And when it doesn't work out, it's because that's not, it's because that's not all that you needed. You needed more, but you only focused on what you lacked. This is exactly what Alma exposed in Reynolds. She found the weakness and she nurtured that insecurity. The insecurity was already planted. She watered it. She watched it grow to the point that it's now taken over. Towards the end of the film, we don't even see dresses anymore. In every frame of the film, we saw dresses reminding us of his trade. Now, not so much. It's shifting the focus from his dress to his childhood needs at the forefront. Because today is Mother's Day, I already had this episode outlined out. But I was speaking to my mentor, Robin, and she was giving a Mother's Day presentation. She said something very interesting. She said, every woman marries the son she wants to raise. I had never heard that before. And I thought about it. I'll be thinking about that a little while longer, too. Our next theme explores the power dynamics of this film. 
Alma says at the beginning, if you want to have a staring contest with me, you will lose. Vicky Creeps says that I see it not as a duel, but as a duet, a dance. She says that the power levels are different in Alma and Reynolds and that they're constantly interchanging. And this is the ultimate power struggle. Are they equals? Sometimes they appear to be equals. Other times they don't. Here's the secret to a healthy relationship. One has to give and the other has to take. If two people are giving, no one's taking. Two people are taking, no one's giving. At every point in time, someone in a relationship is in a submissive position. They're never equal. It's like kids on a seesaw. When one is up, the other goes down and vice versa. Although it appears that Alma is weaker on the outside, she's stronger on the inside. And the one, Reynolds, who's stronger on the outside, is actually weaker, emotionally weaker on the inside. They are the inverse of one another. The one who looks meek and weak holds her own in the end. The one that looks domineering and powerful shrivels in the end. And the fact that she's significantly younger is also important because it illustrates that age does not consider the role that a woman can play in a man's life. It is truly a relationship of up, down, up, down. Whenever Alma has the upper hand, Reynolds is in love. But when he has the upper hand, she's in love. It's not just manipulation. It's the fear of truly being vulnerable, exposed. Since when does a shy woman approach a princess and exerts her dominance over a space that she doesn't even own? This whole film is about keeping up appearances. And so what Alma chose to do at the end of the film was to keep up appearances. She says earlier that she doesn't understand this world. She learns to understand it and she begins to play the game because she thinks there's a game to play. The appearance of his mother in his life. Women need emotional security in a relationship. When Alma wasn't getting that from Reynolds, she became the dominant one. Alma had nothing to lose, while Reynolds had everything to lose. And who has the power in a relationship? This is my next secret. It's not the one who is the most mature. The person who has the most to lose will lose it. When a person has more to lose, they will bend to the demands of the other person. And this is dangerous. Reynolds finds Alma beneath him in every aspect. She has bad taste and a rough personality. He treats his fabric better than Alma. What is he doing bringing a girl like her into a high-class world, where although she's a fish out of water, she blends right in? These are the painful truths and manipulation of a woman that'll go through anything to get a man's full attention. But when she finally has him, though, she doesn't always want him. You would think she would be happy with her prize, but she admires the attention that Dr. Hardy gives her. They're both playing this game, and whoever acquiesces loses. Is love a game? Yes and no. The game makes the love interesting, but how long can one go? She knows that she'll never get Reynolds to do anything for her, so the only way to get someone to do something for you is to provide them with the will to do that. Well, how do you get someone to perform the will to do what you want? 
you give them something that has been missing. And the only way they can receive it is through you. She became unique in his eyes because she did something that no other woman did. It brings up my next point of the gender roles in this film. I don't believe this film is about toxic masculinity. Matter of fact, I think the opposite. I really want to talk about this character of Cyril. She's very necessary. She does everything for Reynolds. She runs the household and allows him to act out his neurosis. Cyril adds to Reynolds' delusions. She was never married, so she's perfect because her attention is not on another man, but on her brother. When he wanted Alma out of the house, he went to Cyril, another woman. I made a terrible mistake in my life, Cyril. I need you to help me. Cyril also wears neutral tones, mostly black. This shows us her confidence in that she's all business. She doesn't need to stand out. She's very secure in her position, although she's not even married. Cyril is the dominant one in the household. She actually controls everything. In order for Alma to do anything for Reynolds, she has to go through Cyril. What I found so eye-opening was when Cyril said that Reynolds' routine is best left unshaken. He can't have anything new in his life at this time. That is a key phrase because it shows us that Reynolds goes through the same phase in his life over and over again. The same type of girl over and over again. These women were ephemeral. One comes, another leaves. Alma is not new. She's the same but different. He just replaced one poison for the other. Remember, he talked about breaking a curse, that a house that doesn't change is a dead house. Alma didn't just make him submissive. He gave Reynolds a new sense of purpose. Alma didn't make him submissive. He was already submissive. Their gender roles are traditionally social, but they're reversed domestically. He can survive when it's just him working on the gowns, but when he's weak and sick, he can't function. The film briefly touches on ambiguous mental disorders. I really hesitate to throw around these words, and I choose to use them very carefully as well. Reynolds appears to be OCD, a control freak. He appears to be a bit on the spectrum and is also a narcissist. You can call Reynolds Woodcock a manipulator. He is narcissistic. It's all about him. It's all about his routine. People have to mold to him. People that are in those types of relationships, it can feel claustrophobic, just like this film, in tight spaces. You, you're walking on eggshells. You don't know where to go from there. Alma was sick of the rules. His narcissism is covered in so much beauty, though. The way he's presented in the film, the way other women present themselves to him, how in the world can a narcissist make someone else feel better? But then you might ask yourself, oh, he's not a narcissist. He makes women feel beautiful. That's the number one trick of a narcissist, to make others feel better. That's how they catch you. The next theme deals with the sadomasochistic nature of love. The same traits that you love in your partner are the same traits that you hate because they manifest in different ways. They're like malfunctioning cells in your body. They can save you or turn on you and kill you. When they're working, they're great. When it's not, it's painful. Love is multifaceted. 
it's not just about the good. Sometimes you can harm someone to do them well. Love is not traditional, and you can't think of it that way. There's tough love, there's real love, there's different types of love. And who said that love is supposed to feel good all the time? No one ever said that love is a never-ending feeling of nauseating saccharine-like notes and verses to each other. (laughs) I used to listen to the song Hurt So Good by John Mellencamp. And I found this song so interesting. I just want to read the first four lines of the refrain. Hurt so good, come on baby, make it hurt so good. Sometimes love don't feel like it should, you make it hurt so good. Love is not a feeling, so it can't only be about good feelings. Earlier in the film, I asked how can something look so good but be so bad. And that's how I see love sometimes. Sometimes you can love someone so much that you want to do them harm just to show how much you love them. Love is painful. Love brings out a lot of painful truths. It's not always kind. I always feel like sometimes in order to love deeply, you have to hurt deeply. The end of this film reminded me very much so of Romeo and Juliet. And not just because they both shared poison. In some ways, love works so well, and in other ways, it's so wrong. Love is polarizing. It can bring ecstasy you've never experienced before, or it can bring the most immense pain. Some say you have to be broken down to allow love in your life. Others think you have to be complete. Love is so different. You don't know what you're going to get. And it also depends on different people and their definition of love. Reynolds and Alma were perfect for each other and so wrong for each other at the same time. Like I said earlier, I hesitated to call this film a love story, but you can't say that love is not present. How far is going too far before you don't think it's love? You're walking that fine line. This is also the classic case of looking at your partner to fulfill everything for you. When you look for your partner to fulfill everything, the hurt strikes deeper. The next thing I want to talk about is this invisible thread that we keep seeing in this film. The phantom thread. Earlier in the film, he mentioned that he had an unsettled feeling based on nothing that he could put his finger on. He thinks that his mother is watching over him. This section deals with curses, superstitions, weddings, and omens. Later, when he's on the mushrooms, he talks to his mother. Are you here? Are you always here? I miss you. What is the thread that brings two very different people together. What was that thread that brought Alma and Reynolds together? Earlier I mentioned they were so right for each other, but so wrong for each other at the same time. When you look at a dress, it's so simple, just like a relationship, but you don't know what kind of crazy, messed up arrangement they have to keep the relationship appearing simple. The phantom thread is unseen. You can bring two broken people or broken pieces together and they'll bring out the best in them. Or you could bring two people that are broken and it'll bring out the worst in them. Just like a dress, the phantom thread is unseen. You don't see the different broken pieces of a dress until it comes together and then it's beautiful. The patterns that were hanging on the wall to represent pattern makers can also be patterns in our day-to-day lives. 
Back when I lived on the West Coast, I took a sewing class and I worked for one of the most wonderful women I've ever met. She once owned the largest sewing warehouse in the world and was a personal seamstress to musicians. Each dress comes with a specific pattern. It looks bad at first, but when it comes all together, it is beautiful. Just like us, we all have our specific patterns. But what is holding that together? This was the case with Reynolds and Alma. The film offers an extreme example of a couple whose passion dwindled fast. The excitement has dwindled and nothing else is left. That's why it's overheard on the radio, what will kill you then will kill you now. If you don't appreciate your partner then, you won't appreciate them now. Relationships should grow with time, not diminish with time. If they've diminished with time, then you've over-idealized. It's akin to a new outfit. The new outfit becomes the old outfit. This is the case in any relationship, though. Instant attraction without even uttering a word to each other. Lingering gazes and idealistic expectations. But when you rip apart the thread, you find the things hidden that you didn't see there before. What's holding it all together? Or let me rephrase. What is the thread keeping them all together? What's that phantom thread that keeps love together after it has dwindled? The thing that can't be seen. The thing that kept two separate people together, even though it wasn't working. The feeling of having to constantly reset. Remember, I mentioned that Reynolds is a creator. He sees everything with a blank slate. Alma reset that. But Cyril also did this. When Reynolds was feeling overwhelmed, thinking about his mother, Cyril sent him to the countryside to reset. It was during this resetting process that he met Alma. It also shows us that we all need to reset at times. When things are too much for us, even in a relationship, how do you make it new? It's time to reset. Those little games that you play in a long-term relationship, you'll also play in a marriage. It's to keep things fresh. It's to keep things new. I always say that things might not always be new again, but they can be refurbished. Relationships do look old after a while, so there's something different that needs to happen to make it new. And you won't know that unless you've actually been together for a long time. We rarely see this in a relationship when the feelings have died down or what sustains that relationship, what's making that person stay. For Alma to stay, she has to constantly feed him the mushrooms. To others, money can be a motivator to stay. To others, lack of security. However, the expectations were too high at the beginning, and they always go down. Things are more valuable with time than they are at the beginning. But how do you continue to reset and renew that love? This is what I really want to get across. Alma's not resetting any button. She's resetting a particular button. And this button is the loss of his mother. Like I said, Cyril reset this button when he went to the countryside. It's a subtle form of manipulation. It also shows us that our patterns are a hindrance to us. They keep us restrained. Reynolds' patterns was a hindrance to him. He's used to working in patterns, literally through dressmaking, but also in his life. The process to create a dress and sew a dress is strict. There aren't many different ways you can make a certain style of a dress. Although dressmaking is a very creative process, 
kind of like I said about the restrained form of his patterns. Things that appear so simple are just not. You look at a dress and it's so simple, just like a relationship, but you don't know how many times one has to push the reset button to keep that relationship to appear simple, just like a dress that appears simple, but it's really not. I was talking to my friend the other day and she told me the craziest story. She went to a dinner party, two different couples that were married, and both of these couples have children. So while she's having a great time with these couples, she gets tired and starts to fall asleep. As she wakes up, she notices a crazy arrangement. That's all I'll say. Between these two couples. And when she decided to address the couple, one of the couples about it, the couple said, it's okay. This works for us. My friend was shocked, to say the least. She could never be in that position, and neither could I, to be quite honest. But you never know what crazy arrangements they have. This next theme is not really a theme, more so an observance. This film is saturated with the concept of the wedding. When you get married, two different people from two different backgrounds come together and weave their lives with each other. Kind of like broken pieces of a dress coming together to sew something beautiful. We see the wedding dress of his mother, Barbara Rose's wedding dress, the princess's wedding dress, Alma's wedding dress. He proposes near a wedding dress. Everything is about the marrying of one thing with another. Even Alma with Cyril and Reynolds. You think that you had problems with your mother-in-law. Cyril is another form of that. And it is true, three is a crowd. But it's all about the marrying of different things. The marrying of different fabrics. He talks about the bobbin lace fabric. He's been waiting forever to use that. The marrying of different backgrounds. The marrying of different tastes. Everything here is about the mix-up, the mashup, the wedding of two different things. Whole film is surrounded by bringing two things together and making it work. And what keeps that held up? At the beginning of the film, everyone is loquacious. Everyone is talking so much. Then after a while, the talking stops and it confuses the viewer. That's what makes this film ambiguous, I feel like, to others. Where we got a lot of information at the beginning of the film, we don't get that that much towards the end of the film. And last but not least, I want to mention two people who have gotten recognition throughout this film, but I haven't recognized them. And that is Mark Bridges and Johnny Greenwood, who have created not only amazing costume design, but also wonderful music to go with the film. Mark Bridges actually said that Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Thomas Anderson wanted the dresses that they created to coincide with Reynolds and Alma's relationship. And as the relationship grew sour, so were the dresses, and as the relationship was beautiful, so were the dresses. Johnny Greenwood, the guitarist of Radiohead, has created this spellbinding score that sets the tone before the scene ends or after the scene. It's like a rabbit that's telling us to follow them into a rabbit hole. And it's very much in touch with all the notes of the film. We know how to feel in every scene. The, the music guides us throughout the scene. And like Alma says, it's a dance. So as this music is playing, we're experiencing this dance. The power struggle goes up and down, up and down. The tempo even changes as they struggle to find their footing. Vicky Creeps has given one of the most refreshing performances I've seen this year. 
She played a woman that is tender, vulnerable, insecure, but inside of it has so much strength and vigor. However, she's innocent at the same time. It was a wonderful contrast to Cyril, who we rarely see that tenderness. She's ironclad from the beginning to the end. And the wonderful performance of Daniel Day-Lewis, whom, according to him, this is his last film, a man that is so established in high society London, but is so childish at the same time. And I feel like all three of these characters are a mashup of who, where we have been at a point in time in our lives. You may have a career, you may be established, you may even get recognition, but just like Reynolds says, there's still more I want to do. He had that reset button in Alma. Some of us are still waiting for a reset button. Some of us are still waiting for two things to come together so that we ask ourselves, who's going to reset us? The marrying of two things to come together. Some of us want a reset button. Some of us go about the reset button the wrong way and we hurt other people. We hurt ourselves for the reset button. Everyone needs a reset. How far will you go for that reset? And will you harm others in order to receive that reset? Paul Thomas Anderson constantly pushes the envelope. This film came out of nowhere. It's so different, so original. Each viewing was a different experience for me. I can't say that I liked it each time I viewed the film. That just goes to show me that his films emanate a strong reaction. And then he uses his classic shots, the whip pans, the frame within frames. And at times, the camera will just stop. And it's like we're looking at a moving picture frame. One of my favorite shots was when Reynolds proposed to Alma. And you can see the wedding dress behind. And it closes in and only focuses on them, on their relationship. Letting us know that the focus will shift from the dresses to the relationship. Paul Thomas Anderson is a perfectionist. He can see him a lot of himself in Reynolds. But there comes a time and a point where you have to let go of that control. Alma is such a great character because she's ambiguous. You don't know how to control her. She's innocent and tender and loving. Towards the end of the film, we're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. The first viewing of the film, you think that her challenging Reynolds is because she likes him and She's shy. The second viewing, you wondered, was this here all along? She had that all along in her character. These people can slip through the cracks because, again, they appear innocuous. And although the story appears so simple, it deals with a lot of emotional turns that we deal with in our everyday lives.